Welcome to Follow Your Fire, a podcast on life, work, and purpose. Join us as we reckon with the questions, what should I do with my life? Do I have a purpose? And if so, how the heck do I figure it out? We'll hear some real stories, get some real ideas about how to find purpose, and have as much fun as we can along the way. I'm Melissa Pinnell, life coach, purpose guide, and your host on this journey. I am so glad to have you along. Oh, hey guys, welcome to episode two. I am so glad you are joining me for this. Before I start, I wanted to say I've noticed something. When I talk about this podcast, when I tell people what it's about, the idea of answering the question, what should I do with my life? They're often like, so is this podcast about work? Is it about life? Is it like choices or what is it about? And that's because the question of what should I do with my life could technically have many answers. The answers could be work-related and they often are. The answers could be family-related, like should I have kids? Should I move home to be near my parents? They could be geography-related. They could be spiritual, internal, external. Literally, it's just up to all of us to decide what should I spend my time on earth doing and who do I want to be? And there are no wrong answers to that question. My goal here is just to illustrate how a variety of people have found the answers for themselves or how they're currently searching. So I urge you as you listen to this podcast not to get caught up in semantics. Listen for similarities, not for differences. And in this episode specifically, listen to how the next guest has searched and found answers to this question in a few different ways. Vocationally, relationally, bodaciously. (laughs) My next guest is attorney Tamara Carter, who is my oldest friend in the world. She's like super old. She's senile. Just kidding. We've just been friends a really long time. We met in third grade. We knew each other before, but we didn't actually become friends until this day in third grade. We were drawing peninsulas in class. I walked up to her with my drawing of a peninsula and I held it against my crotch and I said, hey, we got to keep this real private. (laughs) And that was 26 years ago and we're still friends to this day. When you know someone that long, you have seen them through some stuff. Like we've seen each other go from being really into things like gymnastics and stickers and cats to being really into our kids and the state of the world and Jeopardy. Tamara's really into Jeopardy. And also I'm still really into cats. That has not changed at all. But throughout life, people change a lot, right? I actually love the quote by Anne Rice that says, none of us really changes over time. We only become more fully who we are. We can unpack that idea in more detail another day. But when it comes to the question of what should I do with my life in terms of work, Tamara's answer actually hasn't changed at all since we were eight. Like that day in class, if I would have held that peninsula up and instead of going, we got to keep this real private and would have just said, hey, fellow third grader, what do you want to be when you grow up like a normal kid? She actually would have said what she does for work today. She's an attorney. She would have said, I want to be an attorney. So her career goals have actually remained the same for 26 years. But as is the case for all of us, life has shaped her and pulled her, molded her, not just on the path to becoming an attorney, but her path to becoming the person she is today. 
and her journey to practicing law was not straight. It was not what she would have expected. I mean, she didn't go to law school when she thought she would. She had some major difficulties in her 20s that threw her off course. She had a baby in law school that was tiny and super needy when she was studying for the bar. All sorts of other obstacles, twisty turns, and surprises along the way. Tamara's story demonstrates that there are some things you really only learn about yourself through time and personal experience. And though that's the case for all of us, I have no doubt that Tamara's experience is going to help some people. Hers is a story about competing values, persisting through difficulties, and ultimately recognizing that you are the one who defines your life. You are the one who defines success. The rest is just semantics. So with that, I am so happy to introduce you to my interview with attorney, my best friend, and all-around awesome person, Tamara Carter. Tamara, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It should be noted that the reason we are meeting when we're meeting, which is almost 9 o'clock at night, is that Tamara had put her two kids to bed, or at least get them partly in bed so that her husband could finish the job, and I luckily have a partner who's helping put my baby to bed, but this figures into what we're talking about, which is like work and purpose and how to balance it all, because even just the timing of our conversation was affected by our families. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It affects everything we do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to expand on that more with you specifically. But so, okay. The question I like to start with, because I think it's a fun question, is if you are in an elevator and someone turns to you and is like, hey, uh, hi, you're hot. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get out of the elevator. But let's say someone turns to you and says, oh, what do you do for work? Uh, What do you say to them? I say I'm an attorney for the Department of Healthcare Services at the state of California. Ding. Okay, bye. That was the person getting off the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So you're an attorney for the state of California. Awesome. That's kind of the short answer. And now let's, I think all of us find ourselves in these other situations, especially lately because it's the holidays and you're like doing these social things. You're at a party and someone says, oh, what do you do for work? And you have a little bit more time to expand on it. So what what is a little bit more about being an attorney for the state of California? What does that mean? Well, I'm fairly new to this position. I've been there just over three months now, so I'm still learning what that means. But uh, compared to my last job, it's a lot of policy oversight, a lot of legal research, a lot of making sure that the practices of the department are in compliance with state and federal laws and regulations. Mm, Okay. That sounds like some pretty big, important, heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to just reiterate, Tamara and I have been friends for a really long time, and I know you pretty well. So I'm going to also ask questions that are things I kind of know the answers to, but from a different angle, because I think it helps from a listener's perspective to get a little bit of timeline. So just throwing that out there at the beginning, but what I want to do is take a couple steps back from this is your position now, currently 2019, Tamara's current present day life. Let's go zoom back to a time when I knew you, which is pretty unique since most people want to have this conversation. I didn't know you at age eight. You're eight years old ish. What is that? Is that third grade when we're eight? Yes. So you're in third grade. Okay. 
And the question, which I think we realize now isn't a great question for kids. It's sort of a lot to put on a kid's shoulders to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Even though actually you have school-age children, are they still getting asked that a lot? Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty common theme throughout their childhood to be asked what they want to be when they grow up. And the answer changes. Yeah, right. Like with every age and stage and and really, I still ask it. So even as someone that gives a lot of thought to that, this might be a little too much for a kid to really know. It's just interesting. I guess if anything, it just kind of you want to learn a little bit about this little person. But we're talking about little Tamara. So when you were in third grade, if someone, if a grown up had asked you that, what would you have said? What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was eight, I remember wanting to be an attorney. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant yet. I knew that it involved going to court and uh, engaging in oral argument and helping people. I had a pretty simplified view of the position at the time. But I always remember saying I wanted to be an attorney. I remember my parents encouraging me to pursue a career as an attorney because they thought that I possessed the necessary skill set. So I think that also had a hand in that was my go-to. Mm, yeah. I think that's also a kind of key that your parents were supportive, which obviously I'm going to jump to a conclusion and say a lot of people would be supportive of something like that because it sounds like a successful career. It's not like you were saying, oh, mom, I want to be a a lion tamer. And they were like, well, I don't know if you possess those skills, Tamara. <laughs> but, but parental support is important. And if I remember correctly, this is obviously I gleaned this from knowing you, your mom worked with attorneys, right? She did. She did. She was a um, claims adjuster for workers' compensation, and um, she worked very closely with attorneys for a number of years. Yeah, because I wonder, too, if that sort of figures into this tiny mind. In some ways, we know what we're exposed to, and, you know, my mom was a nurse. I didn't ever say I wanted to be a nurse, so this isn't to say that every little kid wants to be what their parents expose them to, but... Still, that could have been a part of it, right? Because you sort of grew up around that world. But so let's zoom forward a little bit. You get a little bit older. You're in high school. You start noticing boys. (laughs) You're riding the elevator with one. I'm just kidding. So I guess I just want to hear like how the transition happened. Because you didn't just go, all right, high school, college, I'm going to be an attorney now. So you're in high school. What did you want to be at that age? Did you still want to be an attorney? I actually don't remember. In high school, I still thought that was the path for me. It wasn't until college and in the years following that maybe I thought that that wasn't where I would end up as I had previously thought. Because um, when you, you know, when you're in college, you're exposed to all sorts of different kinds of things, different ways of thinking, different aspects of viewing the world. All sorts of stuff that was previously unknown so it was a huge shock for me and uh, I thought that maybe I wouldn't want to go through the requisite school I was beginning to understand how hard it would be to go to law school and take the bar exam and was also just kind of feeling burned out going from high school to college I just needed a break and wanted to see what I could do 
that didn't involve going to more school and pursuing a professional degree. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you went to college, and what was your major in college? I majored in political science with a pre-law minor. Oh, okay, so you were pre-law. And then you mm-hmm. just sort of realized with the actual practicality of being in school, which I remember that feeling too, like just feeling a little bit burnt out and like it wasn't going to be as simple as you thought when you were young. Was there any more happening there? Was it any kind of, I don't know, thought change? Was it just burnout or what do you think it was that sort of shifted gears a little bit? I also had a unique college experience. I went to college right out of high school and I, I know you know this, but the listeners do not, but I experienced a very volatile marriage in college. Mm, I got yeah. very young, and the relationship was not healthy. It was not stable, and I was balancing that with still getting through my classes and trying to make school a priority. So afterwards, after I finished my four-year degree, I just felt completely burned out. I had been on this roller coaster of life, relationship-wise and education-wise, and I just wanted some time to see what I could do in the world as a, a functioning adult. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad you went into that because relationships or just big life events in general do have such a an effect on what we end up doing, both because they affect our psyche and our emotional bandwidth, which it it takes, as you know, now that you've done it, it takes quite a bit of bandwidth to go back to school or to do something hard like law school. So, so I'm glad you can share about that and that, yeah, that that definitely was a part of your, I'm not glad it was a part of your path, but just that you brought it up because I know other people can probably identify. The little eight-year-old Tamara wouldn't have foreseen these kinds of emotional up and downs or just life that happens. And so in turn, we don't exactly make that part of our plan, but it's a part of life, you know? Yeah. All right. So you go to college, you graduate, uh, you do end up leaving the marriage, which I don't know if just now you touched on that, but that's a pretty big turning point in your path, right? That's correct. Yeah. That was a big deal in my life, especially at the time. Yeah, yeah. So after that, let's and let's kind of stick to the the path to where you're at now. And and I guess as we as we talk about that, you're someone that is unique to me in that you had this goal as a young child. I want to do X. I want to become a lawyer. And now you're actually a lawyer, but the path still took lots of twisty, turny, kind of roundabout, different steps, right? So let's talk about a little bit in in the time between graduating college and eventually going to law school. What were you doing in, I guess, like 20s, like early to to middle 20s? I was doing a lot of entry-level work at the time, administrative support. I had a huge shock when I graduated from college with my four-year bachelor's degree and realized that I was qualified to do absolutely nothing. (laughs) It was a very humbling experience to start at the very bottom of any organization that I went to and realized that the skills that I had learned in college didn't translate really to uh, the jobs that I was doing. 
And it was a lot of reevaluating. What do I want to do? Do I want to get a master's degree? Do I really want to be an attorney? Learning about the area of law and the practice of law, women who practice law, how if they're able to balance that with families, how does that go? What do I want my life to look like? And is this still the right path for me? And I graduated college. I went to a private school for college, and I racked up quite a bit of student loan debt. At the time, the message to 18-year-olds getting out of high school was invest in your education. Don't worry about um, taking out student loans because you're going to increase your earning potential tenfold. It'll be worth it. And then, as I mentioned, you graduate from college and realize that you're not really qualified to do anything. Mm -hmm. I graduated from college in 2006. And as you know, in the next couple of years, the economy really took a hit. And we were in the middle of the Great Recession. People were losing jobs right and left. I was lucky to have these entry-level jobs, but I also had this six-figure loan debt that I needed to figure out how I was going to pay back. So that was a deciding factor in my deciding to return to school as well. And then I met my current husband. Uh, He was in his second year of law school at a fairly non-traditional school. It's a California accredited school, but it's not ABA accredited. And what that means is that we can sit for the bar in California, but other states might have some stipulations on allowing us to sit for the bar. And what was appealing about this to me was it was a quarter of the price of the other schools that I had looked at. And he made it seem very doable and very attainable. I was like, before before meeting my husband, Justin, I didn't see a way that I could go back to school, take out even more debilitating debt than I already had, and try and make a successful career. So when I found this path where I could still work during the day, go to school at night and pay a quarter of the price. That was a turning point for me where I was thinking at the time, this doesn't look how I thought it looked, but I can still have what I wanted, my dream of being an attorney. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you're kind of shedding light on so many of the different factors that went into your decision because something that I think is important is that you had this very real student loan debt, which is a common theme in our country that a lot of people, especially if they go to college at a traditional age from a middle-class family, graduate with huge amounts of debt and that it does end up dictating the next step for better or for worse. And so it sounds like that was part of it is that you looked at that debt and thought, okay, what is genuinely going to, because you brought up something that was a really good point that we were told, oh, take out all this debt. (laughs) Not like we were told take out debt, but it'll totally increase your earning potential. But it didn't, not at that initial entry level space. So you thought to yourself, well, how can I provide for myself and my family? What career would do that? And obviously you were already thinking, practicing law, right? Right. And what I heard you say is that you had an example. You got an up close in real life example of how this happens, which I think is really important because would you say that before you met Justin, it felt like what I heard is that it sounded a little unattainable or just kind of um, hard to to picture 
what this path would look like. But seeing him and how he was doing it, did that sort of help nudge you along? Absolutely. At the time, I knew that the right path for me was not going to be quitting working and trying to make it through a traditional school in three to four years. And I had this example of someone who was making it work by working his way through law school, going to school at night and not taking out, taking out some more debt, but not near as much as for my undergrad education and not near as much as would be completely debilitating and unable to insurmountable, I guess, to pay back after I was done with law school. So that's amazing that Justin was, I don't want to say able to do that for you, but yeah, that you were able to look at him and and get an example of what this could look like. So it's awesome that Justin was sort of an example for you as to how this could actually look and how it could really happen in real life. And also, let's talk a little bit about what going to school was like, because you've sort of brushed over it, but I remember watching you and just being kind of in awe and also like, well, I don't know if I could ever do that because you were working full time, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Working full time and going to school at the same time. We'll just save the part where you have a kid, because did you have Reese while you were still in law school? I did. I had him my last year of law school. So actually, I just love to hear a little bit about that, what that experience was actually like for you, because it's a pretty big one, I think. And it can be intimidating for a lot of women, I'm going to say, to imagine how could I actually do this? So what was it like? Well, I had a lot of support at my school. Like I mentioned before, it was geared... People in the night program, the school was geared towards non-traditional students. So there were a lot of people like me who worked full-time and went to school at night, women that had families and were balancing it. I had a lot of examples of women who were able to do it successfully, and that really helped. And I just decided I didn't want to put my family on hold. I didn't want to put my personal career goals on hold so I just wanted to do it all at the same time and you know there's times when you can't give either one your all but I just wanted to I didn't want to be on anyone's timeline Mm, yeah yeah as in you didn't want to wait to have and if if you don't mind me asking you were 29 when you had Reese yes okay Yeah. So, yeah. So having, I I don't know, I just, especially after having a child, I think it's made me think about all of the women that I know that did have children whilst doing other things, whether it was working, going to school, let's not even cover being a single mom. Oh my God. But so in that, in that first, you were just working full time, going to school full time. Then it was working, going to school, have a baby. And then you graduate and part of becoming an attorney is studying for the bar. So can we hear a little bit about that? Like what that process was like, especially being a mom at the same time? Yeah, that was a very interesting experience. So Reese was nine months when I took the bar the bar study course that I did was a little over two months long. So he, when I started the bar study course, he was about seven months old. And (laughs) I 
I remember I had cashed out a 457 account from my previous employer so that I could pay for Reese's daycare while I went to the bar study course during the day. Oh, wow. And it actually was really great <laughs> to drop the baby off at daycare and then have nothing to do but study because prior to that point, I had been doing it all at the same time. I had been studying with the baby in tow and knowing that he was cared for for those eight hours or whatever it was was just such a relief it almost felt like a vacation and I feel guilty saying that because I didn't mean I don't mean it in a way that like oh yeah I'm great I got to dump off my baby but um, <laughs> it was just nice to be able to focus on one thing instead of juggling all these things at the same time everybody always says that or any attorney will tell you that the bar is basically a huge nightmare, that they have nightmares before it, leading up to it, and um, it's this incredibly stressful experience. It wasn't like that for me at all. It actually felt like I was paring down my life to study eight hours a day and take care of the baby at night. And when I actually went and took the bar, I went and stayed at a hotel just so that I wouldn't have any distractions. And it really did feel like a vacation. For the first time in nine months, I slept through the night. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've, I understand that on a different level now being a mom. But I love that you just shone a light on that perspective. Because I do think if you're going from having 19,000 things on your plate, whereas maybe before you had a kid and, you know, all of this other stuff borrowing your attention – it's sort of, it sounds like it would be sort of an evening out. So it's cool to shed light on that because once again, I imagine there might be a woman out there who's thinking about it, but it's like, how am I ever going to do this with a kid? And just hearing about how that was practiced. And I know that you and I both talk about how important it is to have supportive partners. So uh, just at this part where we're talking about the balancing of it all, do you want to expand on that at all? That How was Justin kind of in, in the scheme of things? How did that work out? Justin is very supportive as a parent and as a partner. He is very involved with our children and with my education. He always encouraged me and made things possible for me. So if I was having a hard time and he needed to pick up some slack, uh, he had no problem doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I definitely think that's something that, you know, as, as a new mom, as you know, I've been, you know, juggling a lot myself and I was just talking to someone about how I have felt more creative and like I can get more done in an hour now than I used to get done in five when it comes to my work. And, and we were like basically saying, oh, that's really cool because most of the time you think when you have a child, your time is just gone and I mean, I was like, my career will be over. And and I realized that none of the things that I can do right now, almost none of them, could I actually do if I didn't have someone that was helping me, that ultimately helping me to get some sleep or do things around the house. I think it's important for me to shed light on how helpful Michael is for me because it would be a lot different if we didn't have supportive partners. And it's still, I mean... Tamara, if we could also touch on something that you made me aware of before I was a mom, but I think is important, and that's the role of the primary caregiver versus the secondary. I know they can flip-flop, and they have a lot with you and Justin, but just to clarify, that's, I mean, exactly as it sounds, that even in a 
when I say co-parenting, I don't mean it in the like separated sense, like two parents parenting kids that often there is one of them that's the primary caregiver and the brunt of the caretaking, the emotional labor, (laughs) the household labor, a lot of that will fall to one parent. And it's something that, Tamara, I remember us talking about. So can we talk about how you've sort of navigated that in your relationship? Because you guys are both successful attorneys. You have two kids, and I know we're kind of zooming forward, but just because we're at this point in our conversation, how was it when you were or when you've been the primary the primary caregiver in that role? It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of hard work. I could never have known how hard it would be before I was in that position. But of all the things that I've done with all my education, all of my stressful jobs, the hardest thing I ever did was stay home for a year after my first child was born. Mm. See, that's important. Uh, And actually that kind of brings us up to speed in your story too, because we had just talked about Reese was nine months old when you took the bar, you said? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so then after you took the bar and, and you passed it, I remember seeing this picture of you just so joyous, holding your son, like grin from ear to ear because you had just passed this huge, we all, everyone in your life knew how giant this was. And we know it from just a societal standpoint, but even just knowing you, it was such a big thing. And also what you just said is important, that that was the hardest thing that you've done to date. It wasn't the bar. It wasn't law school. It wasn't doing all these things at once. It was staying home. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. What was, what was it that made that so challenging? Just basically not knowing what to expect. There's no way that you can prepare for having a baby. You can talk to all of your friends who have had babies. You can read all the baby books and participate in the baby boards online, but until you have a baby of your own, you just have no idea what it means for you. I was not prepared for the sleep deprivation, which was funny because I had plenty of sleep deprivation, or so I thought, in law school. (laughs) But nothing compared to having my sleep be dependent on another little human being who I couldn't communicate with in the most basic sense of just a a conversation. It's all by touch and by body language and those kinds of things. So I was just, um, it was so different from anything that I had ever done before. And I just remember thinking, all of those women were right (laughs) when they said it was hard, when they said it was the hardest thing that you'll ever have to do which I knew that they were right, but I didn't understand it until I was in the throes of it, in the throes of a baby with colic at 3 a.m. or, you know, a teething baby while I was studying for the bar or just any number of things that I can go back to that first year, not knowing if something was normal, not knowing if he was going to stop breathing. And the days when he finally slept, then I was still there with my hand on his chest making sure that it was going up and down and I would wake up and swear that he was screaming and I'd look over and he'd just be passed out he would be fine but my anxious brain I knew there was something wrong and it took a long time to get used to that yeah yeah I think you just really beautifully described 
your experience in motherhood, but what I think is a very universal experience, because as you said, you can talk to all your friends. And unlike you, I was lucky enough to have a baby when a lot of my friends already had. I know you were one of the first in our kind of cohort in your in your world to have one. But even so, you talk to everyone and you read and it's still just this complete, it's like you take the, the red pill. I haven't seen the matrix in a long time, but it's like your total, your world totally shifts. And and that is an important part of your story because just like the, you know, any kind of personal experiences and how they shape where we, where we are, how we got here, becoming a mother is such a profound part of your journey. And, and Tamara, you've always been really, really transparent about how hard it is. And I know that I appreciate that. And I bring it up here because, because it's a part of things. You're successful, you're successful professionally and also you've gone through some shit when it comes to getting there and and balancing it all. So I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but I just think that's such an important part of your story and something that you uniquely are able to be honest about. So I'm just so grateful that you, for one, you know, that I am your best friend and we've been able to talk about how hard it is to be a mom, to um, quote unquote, have it all. And and I, I put that in quotes because I guess I just think this is an important conversation because I don't think you can have it all, and I think that's totally okay. And I'm not the first person to say that. I just think it can be sort of misleading to believe you can, and let's let's just shift to as a woman, but even as a parent, that you can have this completely flourishing career and also feel like you're 100% in, in time-wise with your family. I hope it makes sense the, the way that I'm putting it, but... Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know that's a conversation that you and I have had over over the time since you've become a parent, the idea of having it all or not. Yeah, so honestly, I think the idea of what having it all means has changed a lot for me. Before, it was being everything to everyone, having a successful career, being the perfect mom, having the perfect house. And I've had to let go of a lot of my perfectionism. I still feel like I have most of it. It just looks different than I thought it would. I thought it would. Mm. If that makes sense. No, I really like that. I actually think that that makes a lot of sense. So it's not that you don't think you can have it all. It's just that having it all looks different than it than it did before you were actually in this situation. Right. Like there's times when I can't give my job. 100% where I know I could be doing a better job and usually that's because there's something going on with my kids they're sick and that's my priority is to be there for them there's times when in the past four years where my career has been really stressful and I haven't been emotionally present for my children as much as I would have liked to have been I was there I showed up but I didn't feel like the very best mom for them. And there are times when one or both of the things suffers, but I still feel like I have a good career. I have a good relationship with my children. And like I said, maybe we can't have it all, but we can still have a lot of it. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I love that. I also just want to shed light on something you have said to me that has really helped me on my own mothering journey. This is whether you're working or not, and that is you can only cherish so many moments. Is that the way that you say it? 
Yeah, I say there's only so much cherishing I can do in a day. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone always says, like, cherish every moment. It's going to go by so fast. And they're totally right. I'm only six months in. I know it goes by fast. But still, you can only cherish so much. And you're human. And by you, I mean me and you and any parent out there that's struggling to whether they're just, you know, I don't want to say just staying at home, whether they're staying at home, working part-time, working full-time, doing the best that they can. There's only so much cherishing you can do. And um, and you've always been really transparent about that. And I've so appreciated it. So, so I'm going to veer us away from the motherhood career balance and go a little bit back to your career as an attorney as it is right now. The way that I look at your job as an attorney is, oh, that's successful. That's like a successful vocation. Uh, it's kind of like being a doctor or a like an astronaut. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm listing the things that you say when you're eight that like this is what I want to be when I grow up. So maybe I have some work to do on my inner eight year old. <laughs> but I bring it up because this is this is your life. You're a practicing attorney, but I know that it's not all. There's a little bit of what do you call it? The, the shit end of the stick. I would like to hear about the shitty end of the stick. What are the hard things about being an attorney? What's the shit sandwich of your job? Oh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just recently changed jobs, and this job it has a lot less shitty sandwich <laughs> so far. More fluffy white bread. <laughs> From my last job, as an attorney, everyone hates you. Everyone is always mad at you. The public mm. is mad at you. The court is mad at you. The court clerk is mad at you. The bailiff is mad at you. Every. <laughs> is mad at you. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because the few times in my life I've had an attorney, I've usually been mad at them. So you're totally right. Oh, yeah. I haven't, I've been fortunate enough to not have jobs where I've had clients, but my husband has plenty of clients and they're always mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> my sister called me the other day crying about her attorney. She's like, I know she's really busy. I know she has tons of clients. <laughs> I don't understand. But, yeah, um, you always have to talk me off the ledge with my attorney and just be like, well, the reason he's probably doing X is because of Y. Like, you don't take my side like I always expect, and it's because you've been there. So that is a very good kind of depiction of whether you're in private practice or in and just a little bit of backstory, if, if it's okay that we talk about this. In your last attorney position, you were practicing family law, and that was... I remember some stories. Give me one of the shitty sandwich experiences from your last job, because I remember there were a lot. The judicial official that I appeared in front of, the commissioner, didn't seem to find me adorable. <laughs> <laughs> that was really difficult for How the four dare years she? that I was there. <laughs> the harder I tried to please her, the more she hated me and oh. would just do anything that she could to make my life miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I totally remember that. And I also remember there being quite a few instances of like some pretty dramatic theatrics between parents because you were usually, uh, as far as I know, you were essentially representing the kids, like not so to speak, but you were you were trying to make sure the kids got the, the best outcome possible in terms of child support, right? Sort of. I was a child support attorney for a county here in California, and um, I represented technically the public interest, which means that I made sure that if 
there were children that were receiving public assistance, that the child support orders were set according to guideline, and for those that weren't receiving public assistance, that the parties involved were informed about the guideline support amounts. Mm, Okay, okay. And yeah, like, that was a bunch of lawyer speak for shit got crazy, because parents got mad a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Once I had a guy ask me, he said, oh, you're not even going to give me some lube before you rape me? (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) What, do you remember what you said to that? I was just like. I didn't say anything. I just walked away. You say, you "You don't love me. You just love my doggy style. You quote Snoop Dogg, of course. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I remember lots of stories like that. And, And I ask you this question because, you know, I think anything that we aspire to be, as cool as it sounds, as, and I'm not saying that if someone wants to become an attorney, they think it's just all rainbows and unicorns, but... There's some there's some harder parts to it. So what about as far as like the day to day? What are some of the challenges or or you know what? Let's look at the bright end too. What are the things you love about your days? What are the things you don't like about your days? One of the things I love about my days is that I always feel like I am in a position to make a difference in the lives of someone. Hmm. Uh, the public. So right now I'm working in healthcare law. And I always feel like I'm in a position to help someone. That's really important to me in choosing a career. The things that I don't love about my job is that sometimes the stakes are really high and there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure. It's my professional license that is at stake every day, especially when I was doing litigation, when I was in the courtroom. I was always afraid that maybe I didn't read the law well enough, that I didn't know what I was doing, that I was going to make a mistake, and uh, it was going to have enormous ramifications. And it got easier as time went on, but that feeling never went away. And even speaking with older attorneys or more experienced attorneys, you know, it it seems like there's always a little bit of that fear there that you're going to make a mistake and it's going to have a dramatic impact on someone. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting that you brought that up because I was going to ask you if you ever doubt yourself. And, and I also, I mean, you were just very transparent about the fact that you do, and really you're right. Everyone does. And that's what I love about being able to talk to people like this and really unpack the the thoughts behind certain professions, like what is going on in the head. But, you know, so you do have self-doubt. You have had self-doubt, especially towards the beginning, it sounds like. I would love to hear what are some ways that you have persisted in the face of that? Do you have any kind of go-to tools, whether it's in the courtroom itself? I know that you used to actually have to go to court. As far as I know, in this, this current job, you don't have as much court time. But, you know, in those actual day-to-day experiences, how do you persist, and just in the job itself? Honestly, self-compassion has been a huge thing for me that I've had to learn that I'm going to make mistakes, and all I can do is do my due diligence and try and do the best I can, and also having confidence in myself that I am a competent person and feeling good in my abilities that 
I'm on the right track, that I'm doing the best I can, that the things that I'm doing are very reasonable, and that I'm doing better than I think I am. Mm, yeah. So these are some things that I've had to rewire my brain to think about when the stakes are high, or if just being able to make a mistake and moving on, not beating myself up for it, as I am prone to do. <laughs> as you are loath to do. <laughs> to do. Yeah, those are all really important tools because uh, ultimately I hear some like intentional thinking. That's what I hear. It sounds like the thought of, oh, oh my gosh, what if I can't do this is replaced by the thought of it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to keep going. And and that is a tremendous amount of self-compassion. And is that, do you feel like, has that gotten stronger as you've been practicing longer? Is it because you're just getting older as a human and that's just getting easier or what would you say where 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 does that come from I think all of the above really that I was blessed to have some really good mentors at my last job when I was first starting out my career that um were there saying those things to me when I needed to hear them that it's okay to make mistakes we all make mistakes but also just getting older and gaining a different perspective on life, just realizing that not everything is as dire as it seems in the moment. And that if you make a mistake, then you deal with the fallout, then you um, take responsibility for it and you do what you can to fix it. And um, most mistakes aren't as detrimental as we think they are. Mm, Yeah. I think that's a really important point that part of what happens as we get older, and it's something that we can Kind of like with parenting, you can read about this and you can watch other people go through it, but until you've made enough mistakes yourself, whether it's the big life mistakes or just the small mistakes maybe you make in your current profession or even as a mom, as you do that and you kind of face the fear of like, oh my gosh, what if I totally stick my foot in my mouth? Like that's always one of mine. And and then I've done it and oh my goodness, I'm still alive. (laughs) People... People are still around. It's like you realize that you live through it. And that's something that you can't buy. It's it's earned with time. So what a gift to be able to get older and acquire that. So something else I would love to ask you as we kind of wind this down is success. I think it's an interesting word. And I know that it can mean different things to different people. And I am curious when I say success, what does success mean to you, Tamara? I have always derived most of my personal fulfillment from my relationships with people. And after becoming a parent, obviously my priorities shifted. And when people would ask me what kind of law I wanted to practice, and I said, you know, I'm just, I'm more concerned with having a work-life balance. I feel like wherever I am, I can find a way to make it meaningful and find purpose and be in a position, look for the angle that I'm going to be able to make a difference. But what's really important to me in my career is that I'm still able to be a good mom and present for my kids. And I guess success to me means having a career that you can find personal fulfillment in, but also being able to balance that with your familial relationships and your friendships. Hmm. 
Yeah. And, and I really like the way that you frame that because what I heard is, and you, and you kind of wove in purpose, which was another question I was going to ask you, what does purpose mean? And I sort of heard you describe it. Purpose for you is found in relationships and how you're able to show up in those while also having this career that you can derive meaning from. So if I could reframe it, because I think this is really important, you could be practicing a few, I mean, I want to say any kind of law, you could be even in another vocation, but what you said is it's finding the meaning in those different jobs. It's not so much the job itself or the kind of law. It's what you take from it. Does that feel true for you? Absolutely. Yeah, because I think that that theme has been coming up a lot as I talk to people, and it's it's getting away from doing, as in what do you do? And, and more emphasis on being. How are you in that thing that you do? How do you feel being an attorney? How do you feel as a mother? And, and all of these things are kind of how you embody purpose in these different arenas. It's not that these arenas give you purpose, it's that you bring purpose to them. So I love the way you frame that. And um, I wanna ask you another question. It's ultimately talking to someone who might be interested in the path that you took. Maybe they wanna to go to law school, maybe they're thinking, they want to have a family, but they just graduated with this degree and they're not sure if it would compromise the other. Maybe they're just stuck and they're looking for some advice, someone to, to kind of share some wisdom about what worked for them on their path, how to continue when things are hard or when you're not ex- exactly sure which direction to go. What would you say to that person? I would say to keep going to try not to be afraid to make mistakes as hard as that can be and as scary as that can be to envision the way the your life the way you want it to be and just work towards that goal understanding that as you go your journey may look a lot different than you originally thought it would but you still have that end goal in mind hmm I love that. And as you say that, I'm actually curious, what would you say to 20-year-old Tamara if she was listening right now? What would you tell her about her path for the next decade or so? Oh, that's a tough one. Probably something similar that um, you're going to end up exactly where you want to be. It's just not going to look like you thought it was going to. And that's okay. Hmm. I think that's really golden wisdom right there. Thank you so much, Tamara, for your time. I know you're a busy mom. You just had a full day with work and your kids. And now we just did this and I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. I love you. Love you too. If you liked what you heard today, please pass this podcast along to someone you know who would benefit. It would also be awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It's how we attract new guests, reach more people, and ultimately change the world. I mean, imagine what kind of world we'd live in if everyone was doing something they actually wanted to do with their life. Speaking of which, if you want help finding purpose or figuring out what the heck to do with your life, hit me up. It's what I do as a coach introduce you to your highest, clearest, and most badass brave self. I promise that's the version of you the world most needs. If you're interested in coaching, would like to join my email list, 
Or if you know someone who'd be a great guest on this podcast, shoot me an email at followyourfire at gmail.com. That's followyourfire at gmail.com. Until next time, follow those fires, my peaches. Mm-hmm.